Daniel Chacon. Welcome to Words on a Wire. Today I am talking to Paula Cucurella, uh, who just came out with a new book of poems called Demasiada Luz para Hacer Poesía. You heard it right, and you heard it in my perfect, beautiful, beautiful rhythmic Spanish, Demasiada Luz para Hacer Poesía. Don't ever accuse me of being a pocho. She is originally from Chile. She has a PhD in literature and is a philosopher, teaches philosophy at the uh, university level, a poet, also teaches poetry, and a translator. And we're going to talk about her first book of poems. Dr. Paula Cucurea, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thank you, Daniel. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time because you're such an interesting person and uh, conversations with you are just amazing. But I'm excited about this book. Tell me about it. Uh, Demasiado Luz para Hacer Poesía. How did this book come about? Uh, well, um, before I arrived to El Paso to study creative writing in 2015, I knew I wanted to write a book about the rape culture. And by rape culture, I mean the elements in our culture that make of rape, sexual abuse, and sexual violence something so common. So I took several attempts in this direction between 2016 and 2018, um, right after I defended my, my PhD dissertation, uh, I began compiling what was going to be this book. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, and I think I had the first draft like around 2017, and, I, and when I had the first draft, I contacted one of my a very close friend uh, and also a very good Chilean visual artist, Felipe Cooper, and I invited him to respond to the poems with images. He's a painter, but he works with different kinds of textures and, and different kinds of paintings. Uh, and once we have these paintings plus poems, we start, well, I start trying to contact the press and that took a long time mm -hmm. <laughs> for my standards. So I think it was probably seven months. And, and I went to seven, di seven different presses and, and I received seven, uh, seven uh, different no's, negative answers. <laughs> and double, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't feel good, you know? Right. When, you, when you are writing your first book, you're like, man, it, sh it shouldn't be that hard. But it is, it is really very hard. And AA Editores was the number eight. Well, and, you know, it is part of uh, the narrative of very successful books about the rejections first and then finally finding the right publisher. So you're in good company. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, right. Uh, Fitzgerald, you know, I can count myself among them, I guess. Yeah, I, I tried to feel that way one time when I got multiple rejections, but it just doesn't feel that way at the time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, you've been, it sounds like you've, you really kind of had an idea about this poem, this book that you, you, it, it's been with you for a while and you put so much into it. Was it hard to give over 100% creative control from the artist's perspective or did you 
I mean, was that a hard thing to do, to, to turn it over like that? Um, actually, no. I mean, I, I, I know what, what you are referring to. The truth is that I have the book, but since I was so, um, it was so important for me uh, to have a book that, that, that wasn't coherent, wasn't cohesive in a way, that in a certain way it also transmitted the sense of babbling, the confusion, the contradictions that are part of also the, the subject that I'm trying to address. To give uh, the book to, for example, to Felipe Cooper, uh, inviting him to write, uh, sorry, to paint some poems or to respond to the poem with paintings, was a sort of relief because I I also felt that it was a little bit like too much, you know, like the theme, <laughs> the subject. It was uh-huh. I, I needed some help to make sense of this, and and in the dialogue between uh, mediums, between poetry and painting, something else came out. And I also invited a professor from UCR. Uh, Riverside, UC Riverside, Jack Lesra to write a preface, and he also joined in, in in the dialogue. And I think this process for me was very healing, uh, kind of like um, it compensated the draining uh, draining effect, the taxing effect of having to uh, of writing a book about about rape, rape mm. and rape culture. Right, and and I'm also wondering as you're talking if if uh, including to others on kind of to open up, uh, I guess, a dialogue on this book. Uh, it's almost as if the book becomes part of the community. And I'm wondering if you do that consciously to make your work not just coming from from you, but from a community, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think in several ways you never own your book. Uh, as soon as you write it and then you give it to the press, then the book has its own life, right? You right. cannot control the interpretations that you are going to receive, the criticism. That's the book. Uh, and it is good that you don't control it and it is good that you don't anticipate certain things that might happen. Uh, but it, yeah, but it ha- I, I had precisely in mind that to make of this something that perhaps uh, we could uh, own together. Uh, for the same reason, because the book was finished, the, the printing was finished in March 2020, but then quarantine hit Santiago de Chile, where the book was printed. Uh, the book was left in, in the press for two full months. Wow. And it couldn't, yeah, it didn't. So it was in quarantine, basically, and didn't have any access to distribution. <laughs> That's so the, in the process, yeah, it is funny because it's like a book on quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to get out, it, it was ready to get out. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't talk about it. So uh, I invited scholars and poets to write a short blur about it while the book was mm-hmm. still in quarantine. And this also added to this sort of like a community yeah. response to this. And they, they really commented on things that I hadn't seen at all. And this is always a gift. Let me ask you about the process itself. As you were writing some of these poems, do you have what some writers I know do? They, they, they have workshop groups or particular writers or thinkers um, within which they exchange work and talk about it and give each other feedback. Did, was that part of the process? No. Oh, yeah. perhaps one poem was workshop uh, while I was a student at the bilingual creative writing department 
of the University of Texas of El Paso. I know of it. It's very. And, it's a very good program, from what I understand. Yeah, excellent program. <laughs> and this chair is, is such an amazing person. Too. Yeah, Rosa Alcala. <laughs> she is, man. I, I admire her deeply. Me too. Um, so, yeah, there was half of one poem that was workshop that later it appeared here, but all the other things were not workshop. Um, and I am not against workshop. I'm just an introvert and uh, I'm work for me is something that happens just very quietly. Right. Well, you know, I always uh, recommend that when students uh, get out of the MFA program, that they give up the workshop for a while and just start writing. And because I think workshops mm -hmm. can impede your work and, and make you give you, you know, perhaps even times provide cross currents uh, that, that may go against the work. Yeah, I think you are right. Yeah, I mean, if you just do like with everything, you cannot make your self-esteem depending on others' opinions, right? right. Uh, the same about your work. But it's always useful to, since you have an intention when you write, it is always useful to know how the other side is perceiving it. Right. And tell me about the landscape of the book. I know you came, like you were saying, from Chile, from here to uh, El Paso, uh, Ciudad Juarez. How did the landscape play into what you were trying to initially attempt with the book, which is to 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 uh, examine rape culture? How did how did this area deepen or help the book or not help? But uh, uh, how did it affect what you ultimately wrote? Yeah, it informs the the writing without me intending to. The thing is, when you live in El Paso, you probably know this. It is almost impossible for not to have the desert in your writing because it's just such a pervasive experience. Right. And if you come from other places with trees and you, you really, the landscape is something that imposes, it is, it imposes on you in a, in a positive way. And the scenes from the Masiada Luz are coming from different places. So you have a, there is a scene that happens in, in the coast of Chile. Then there are other border scenes. There is a lot of sun in the eyes, sun in the, and then way too much light to make poetry, which is the title <laughs> of the. Right. Yeah. I mean, El Paso has one of the, from the States, is the city with most bright days. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. And I've been living here for a long time. Thank you for teaching yeah. me that. That's great. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is you can't, I don't imagine you were able to entirely free yourself from the history, of course, of the murdered women in, in, a, in Ciudad Juarez and how that might affect the, uh, you know, the landscape itself. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, um, if I mean, you you see the sand, you imagine people buried under the sand. Then, if you spend time in Juarez, I have spent a, a lot of time in Juarez. Uh, while writing this book, I made a procedural conscious decision. Well, in addition, because I didn't have much money, so you go to Juarez and you eat a lot, right? With <laughs> right. little money. But I will go there, write at coffee shops or whatever place I, I will end up like working, um, then take the bus, right? And you see the landscape and you and you have read the stories and you have read Huesos en el Desierto, uh, you have read 2666, uh, um, you have done research about it, and you are obviously concerned, not just because, well, because it's Juarez, right? And, right. and it is just a very bad thing to have uh, 
such a history of uh, of feminicides. But then you also ask yourself the question: What are the conditions that have made for this uh, this possible? It, it cannot just be the narco culture. I, 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 there must be something about the chauvinistic symbolic culture that makes this possible. And then if you ride the bus, you you listen to the narco corridos, and they're extremely sexist. <laughs> uh, right. So there, there are things there that you also see like, huh, you know, I mean, it is not just something that came out of nothing. And, and I was also concerned with trying to uh, get those like subtle, uh, symbolic uh, feminicides, right? Places right. where we, we kill women before killing them, either because we erase them or because we don't let them speak or because there is sexual... Uh, harassment and things like that. That's that's really interesting that you're going to see that Juarez and sitting in coffee shops and I know getting on the bus. In fact, one of the poems is based on an experience you had just sitting on a bus because a mm-hmm. lot of people in El Paso, especially those who come to study, are afraid to go to Juarez. And if they do, they'll just walk down Avenida Juarez, you know, up and down and then, you know, safely, safely return. But, you know, clearly, you know, you, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you weren't intimidated. Can can you talk a little bit about that experience? And did it at times become uh, uh, overwhelming emotionally or any yeah, other? Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, but 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 I but I also I I I have to I I, I like to put my own impressions in question. I I took risks like going like taking the bus. Most people would say like no, don't go there. Or more than one time I got lost. Right, uh, one time I got lost in a neighborhood that I don't remember the name. I think it was an Apra. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a very famous neighborhood. Very yeah, exactly. And and it wasn't a good thing, you know. I know right. I was obviously scared. I wasn't like with my notebook taking notes when I was <laughs> lost in an opera. Right. I was I was like super scared, and only later, months later, perhaps I could write about it. Wow. Uh, yeah. So- uh, my experiences there, well, I mean, the, the, the thing is you realize immediately that the, the people that is most exposed to, to sexual aggression, uh, discrimination is poor people. It's the people right. that takes the bus, uh, the people that came, so, comes out of the maquila. And, right. uh, and I, have, I, I saw sexual harassment on the bus. Uh, I was like, like caught calling a lot on the streets and and you feel that sort of a lack of freedom that women mm-hmm. cannot really walk on the street unless they are walking with a man uh, that's totally different in el paso did you but, have you ever witnessed something like you were talking about these these uh, manifestations of the masculine you know feminized culture itself or or acts that ultimately are the first step in femicide fe- feminicide do you remember any specific things that you witnessed that that made it into your poetry or that you wouldn't allow into your poetry? Yeah, there are two things. So one, I was in the bus. The bus wasn't very, in Juarez, it wasn't very crowded. And there was a woman with a little boy. And the boy was probably, I don't know, four, five. And there was a, a man that was a little drunk or on something. 
and kept like talking to her and and she knew that he was drunk and she kept like protecting her kid and looking to the other side and she couldn't move basically because all the all the seats were occupied but the seat right by me was empty so uh, the guy kept harassing her and she kept like doing this body gesture of moving to the other side. And I made signs to her without saying, hey, come over here, sit with me, or I give you my seat. Like saying, I made a sign with, the, with my hands, like, come here. It's like, get away from that uh-huh. guy, right? Uh, and, she, and she told me no. Kind of like uh, with, wow. the, with her mouth and her hand or like with her face, she says, he said no. Uh, and and it was uh, between the lines that like raising more more awareness, like saying something, moving away from the drunk, was just going to awaken like the devil inside of the right, drunk. Yeah. yeah. So it was actually worse to to move away than to stay there. Wow. And I thought, damn. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible, right? Uh, but so you- I felt like like an idiot. Right, like you don't know the the rules here, right? If somebody molests you, you just stay quiet. Otherwise, it goes worse. Wow, that's um, that's a powerful story. That is that is that is incredible, and it must have really been painful to to witness. Yeah, it was painful. Yes. So, uh, this book of poems, "Demasiada Luz para Hacer Poesía." Um, a lot of the poems were written while you were here in El Paso. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's indication in one of the poems that being in El Paso is, in essence, a, uh, uh, you know, literally taking the term El Paso, which is a passageway. There's, uh, it's, a, it's temporary, and, and there's even, I think, some reference to being in the El Paso, being uh, kind of like a dormitory, you know, a, a place to stay temporarily. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you feel that way as you were living here or was there just constant reminders that you are not from here and that made you think about how you might just be passing through? That's that's really very interesting. I mean, I, 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 my friends will make jokes whenever I send them postcards like they couldn't believe that I was, that I was in El Paso because to be is like a permanent state, right? Uh, and El Paso makes reference to something that is just passing. So right. they will say, "Are you? can you really be in El Paso? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nerdy joke <laughs> right, <laughs> from my right. nerdy friend. Um, uh, but then there is also the, my, I am an immigrant. I have a green card. I'm not a citizen. And, and with the politics that has been uh on the medias for the last four years, it is very hard not to feel uh, targeted as an immigrant. Right. So it's like, it's like, are you leaving? <laughs> you, <know>? <laughs> <laughs> you feel like, yes, right. va? no, yeah. you feel something like that. Uh, oh, in, in, from a country context, not from the community at all. From the, right. the community is actually quite different. I mean, if you go to downtown, you see brown olive people like you all the time. You can speak Sp- Spanish all the time. People is extremely supportive. Uh, yeah, I, I met amazing people and amazing people that are doing amazing sacrifices and, and things for the immigrants too. Uh, you just find all those contradictions in that one place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of problem, a, a, a lot of needed help. 
just not enough and amazing people trying to do what they can. And and on a, on a really corny, excuse me for this corny metaphorical level. Also, it's basically you know what we should, how we should think about life itself. We're just kind of passing through, and so we better notice what we notice and say what we say while we're here. <laughs> mm, yeah, it is true. So, which poems uh, in this were the most difficult to write, and which poems came the easiest, or poem? I, I think all the poems were hard to write because it's just the way it is for me. Um, I, writing doesn't come like easy to me. And I think this is the way it should, should be. <laughs> I, I feel better when, when, when writing resists me, when it makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, Despite that, uh, the easiest poems were, were perhaps uh, Demasiada Luz para hacer poesía and uh, Pathology of Exile. Uh, that poem, which was, uh, it, it is going to be uh, published very soon in a translation by Alec Lopez in a Alchemy, a journal for literary translation. Oh, nice. Yeah, that surprisingly, that poem was very easy to write. It just came out like that, you know. Wow. It was like, oh, and people like. I was, I was impressed. Can you, know? can you read the, that poem? Sure. Um, okay, so, patología del exilio. Entre los síntomas, la necesidad congénita de ser malentendida acentúa la tendencia a perder el hilo. Pero entre tú y yo. América, hemos llegado a dominar el arte de la, de la alucinación controlada, haber normalizado la ceguera como enamoradas, aun cuando me siento utilizada por tu lenguaje y me desquito escupiendo tu nombre en cuatro siglas y tú me arrullas susurrándome ofertas de última hora. Por altoparlante, América, suenas tan dulce y te perdono todo, por la excelente conexión a internet. <risa> El paseo por tu cuerpo, América, como si fuese mi dormitorio, los mismos actos eternos de precalentamiento, de precalentamiento. Preferiría un puñetazo en la cara. ¿Y qué vamos a hacer del engendro que creamos en mi boca? ¿Cuál de los dos apellidos vamos a escoger? Aceptaré por nombre lo que me llames, querida. Esta lengua adora el sabor de tu piel. That's it. Uh, that's, a, that's a fantastic poem. And I couldn't help but laugh about uh, when, you, when you read the line about, you know, I forgive you everything for the excellent internet connection. Connection, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that kind of like love? Did, did you leave, was, did that come out in the first draft? And did you think about whether or not you wanted to keep it? Or did you just say, the heck with it, I'm going to keep it? You know, this came out at the end. Uh, I, I, at the beginning, I had more poems, but then I keep, uh, like taking things out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the editing process. Once I knew I had a publisher, I thought like, okay. Um, this poem, it is heavily informed by my co-translation of uh, Rosa Alcalá's My Other Tongue, co-translation mm-hmm. with, with the Colombian poet uh, Andrea Cote. 
uh, she has a poem that is called Paramour, where she talks about English, the English language, as if English was a lover. So here I also have like an erotic poem, but my lover is America, which mm. uh, in Spanish is a name for a, a female name, right? So right. it's a, an, an homoerotical poem. Hmm. Wow, it's 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 uh, it, it's beautiful as as our you know many of all the poems and the uh, the language, um, and I just can't. I, I want to know about your writing process. Can we can we talk about the writing process? Not necessarily on this particular book, but how you write. Do you have rituals? Do you get up in the morning, write for three hours? I mean, do you write in coffee shops, airplanes? Uh, what is your process? Yeah. Okay. So for me, writing, I, I write whenever I can. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do. But for the most part, it comes, uh, it is like a like a treat, right? So whenever I need to rest, I read and write. And usually wow. I do both things. So I'm reading and then I stop reading, I write something because I make some kind of association with the stuff that I am reading. So I have, I have started to footnote what, what I am reading uh, when I'm writing, because sometimes I, I could perhaps, you know, give credit to the stuff that I have been reading, even though the associations are in many cases not evident. Right. So it really depends on it depends on, on the stuff that I am doing. If I am teaching, I don't know, three classes in the morning and then I have a break, I'm usually going to be writing during that break because it's something that relaxes me. But sometimes if I am under a lot of stress, I will take a day and if I can take a day, I will take the day off, uh, shut myself in my closet. I have a closet where I like to uh, work and write and read all day. But I, I don't have like an, a schedule. I, don't, I haven't need an, a schedule yet because the truth is that it is part of my, it is something that I need. Right, right. Wow, that that's interesting. You have a closet. Are you talking about a literal closet, or is that? <laughs> yeah, <what> you, yeah. <laughs> and do you do you have a light in the closet? Yeah, there is a little light, and the truth is that you can kind of like um, a, uh, you can adjust the light by opening a little bit like the clothes that you have on top of you. Mm -hmm. So I, I I lay on my stomach on the floor and then you have all the hangers around you, right? Wow. So if you want more light, you just like move the clothes around. Uh, yeah, it is a oh, literal is, closet. Oh, I bet there's some great shadow going on in there while you're writing. Yeah, and not very much light. I have a headlight. And in winter is the, the warmest place for sure. During the summer, it is not advisable. <laughs> wow. And uh, Paula, I understand you came out with a, a second book recently. Um, can you just tell us briefly uh, about that one? Sure. Uh, this second book is called uh, Los Últimos Inanes Días, which translates very well in English because you have the word inane, the last inane days. It came out in December 2020, which makes two books in a year, my two first books. Not bad, <laughs> not bad at all. <laughs> not a bad start. Let's see how it goes. Uh, uh, it is also published by AA Editores mm -hmm. and available through most e-libraries in digital format. This is a book, a collection of poetic scenes, poems that could also be vignettes, but I like to call them poems. And they were written between March 2019 and December 2019. 
The original idea was to write a mosaic of fragments of voices and scenes uh, that had in common that all, all these scenes and voices were taking place in a world that was assisting, assisting in the double sense of helping and attending to the end of the world. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a book that, or something that takes place at the end of the world. But the wow. world is also another time that can be inhabited uh, for an eternity, right? Mm-hmm. So it is not apocalyptic in the sense that something is going to end, but the ending just takes forever. Um, and this mm-hmm. is how I felt in 2019. Later, COVID-19 hit and the book uh, was in production when when really? COVID nineteen hit us. Yeah, it's like you're an so, oracle and you knew. <laughs> well, I, I I really felt like well, my ap- apocalyptic uh, pathos, pathos felt confirmed. Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but don't ask me about the forecast tomorrow because I have no idea. <laughs> well, that's probably good that we that we have no idea. Uh, yeah, but um, I I got an advanced copy of it. Um, uh, you sent it to me on uh, I, I, on Amazon, and uh, mm-hmm. oh, I, I just I, I love the language again, and I love the the vignettes. Uh, they're they're done in prose though, and not in lines, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Although there is something about the formatting that they occupy, like a little cube. Yeah. In, so it is prose poetry. I I work with two poetic principles. That is the principle of condensation. Uh, and the minimum effective dose, just like with the medication, uh, is the right dose. So I still consider them poems, even though there is one short story in mm-hmm. the middle, like around the middle. Uh, but I also just like feel um, uh, there is something defiant about wanting want, wanting to call these poems po- or these vignettes poems, right? Right, I, right. Uh, I mean, there is something about the politics of who who gets to to name what you are. Right, right. Can I call myself a poet or I have to wait until a male uh, or a woman in power or some laureate poet calls me poet? The same about philosopher. I, I call myself a, a philosopher and I'm sh- sure that a lot of people think I'm not a philosopher. But this is also an act of defiance. Right, uh, right. Who gets to call herself a philosopher? Does it have to be a male? Uh, do you have to have written? Oh, to have, do you have to have the privilege of teaching two classes so you can write a book a year? <laughs> uh, right. So right. That, that's that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And so these poems, these book of poems, uh, they are currently available. Yeah, they are available online through well most uh, ebook servers. So not just Amazon, but also uh, Patagonia.cl and also just Google Google Books and basically mo- mo- most of the things out there that that work with digital format. And right now I'm working with the same translator of Demasiada Luz on a bilingual uh, translation of Los Últimos Inanes Díaz. Well, that's... I've been talking to Dr. Paula Cucarella. Her first book of poems, Demasiada Luz para Hacer Poesía. Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful book, beautiful cover, beautiful art. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, for joining me on, on Words on a Wire. 
Thank you so much, Daniel. I'd like to thank Paula Kukurea for joining me this week on Words on a Wire. Please buy her book. It's available on Amazon.com. I believe it's available at Literarity Bookstore here in El Paso, Texas. And if it's not at your bookstore in your city, your town, your giant mall, tell them, hey, order this book. Let's keep literature alive. See you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.